On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we break down the Terps series win at Stetson last weekend when they took two out of three from the Hatters and Maryland's midweek win over Delaware. Plus, we pick a Terp of the week for those three wins out of four games for Maryland. Then we sit down with Terps freshman DH Maxwell Costas and an interesting conversation with him about baseball and much, much more. And after that, we will break down the Terps' upcoming series against the 17th-ranked ECU Pirates, maybe the biggest series on the schedule so far for the Terps. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Connor Newcomb. Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 61 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and today I'm joined by Zach Solon, one of the newer members of the Maryland Baseball Network, who is appearing on the podcast for the first time. Of course, you heard Zach on the call on Wednesday as the Terps took down Delaware 11-6, and you will continue to hear Zach's voice throughout the season and beyond. So Zach, welcome on to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast for the first time. Good to be here. So, Zach, obviously you were with the Terps in Delaware, but before we get to that one, another midweek win for Maryland, we will go back to the previous weekend for the Terps when they went down to DeLand, Florida, to take on the Stetson Hatters. Of course, last season, that was really Maryland's best series of the year. The Terps took two of three from Stetson in College Park. It was really a huge series win for Maryland. They got great pitching and a lot of timely hitting in that one. Dropped the first game, then won the next two. Hunter Parsons was great last season, threw a complete game shutout in game three to clinch the series. So it flipped a little bit with the Terps going down to Stetson this year. And things flipped a little with the Terps actually getting game one of this series. And the other thing was this Stetson team is not the same team they were last year. Last season, hosted a regional, won that regional, went to a super regional for the first time in their history. They were the number 11 overall seed in the NCAA tournament. But as you can tell from this weekend and so far this season, despite these being big wins for Maryland, this was not the same Stetson team here in 2019. Yeah, no, this was a much different Stetson team. They had lost a lot of key pieces, and Maryland kind of stepped up to that challenge because even if the roster looks a lot different, it's still very good to say that you got a series win on the road against the team that made it to Super Regionals the year prior. So I think this was a really good time for Maryland to seize the opportunity of defeating an out-of-conference opponent, but a very good one at that. And Stetson, you know, they're still a good team as is. They gave Maryland a run for their money, uh, especially on Saturday and Sunday. And it wasn't easy for Maryland, um, but a lot of stuff started to click for them, I feel, in that weekend series. So getting a two out of three win on the road, big for the Terps. So the Terps started it off in game one. Hunter Parsons, of course, took the hill against Robbie Pito, a UNC transfer who is a pretty high draft prospect out of the A-Sun Conference and with the Stetson Hatters. But Hunter Parsons, again, was great in this one. He went seven scoreless innings, allowed six hits, struck out 10 batters, and walked just one as he continues to just be phenomenal in his senior season. But on the other end, Robbie Pito was great as well. And this game was tied at zero through five innings, a scoreless ball game, until we hit the top of the sixth inning. Maxwell Costas, who had been having a great season so far, came up to the plate with two outs and nobody on 
and cracked a solo shot into left field to give the Terps a 1-0 lead. That would be the only run Pito would allow. He got through six, allowing just the one run. Then in the seventh, uh, Stetson went to the bullpen. They went to Danny Garcia, a right-hander, and the Terps jumped on him in the seventh. Randy Bednar with the bases loaded, lined a two-run double down the left field line to give the Terps a 3-0 lead. Hunter Parsons got himself through seven. Terps got some key outs in the seventh and eighth innings with some runners on for Stetson to get out of some jams. And then in the ninth, the Terps broke it open. Bednar and Wright homered back-to-back to to make it 5-0. Stetson made another pitching change, and then RBI singles later in the inning from Ben Cowles and Tommy Gardner made it 7-0 Terps, and the Terps would go on to win that game 7-0. And obviously, Zach, the offense was key. They were quiet for five innings but got key hits late for the Terps. But they wouldn't have been in that position in the sixth inning with it still tied if it weren't for another incredible start from Hunter Parsons. Hunter Parsons has just been really impressing me. We knew he was going to be the ace coming into this season, being the Friday night starter. But what he's done so far has been incredible. Going back to the first doubleheader they played uh, that home Friday series against Maine, Hunter Parsons just had every single thing working for him. In fact, on fastballs inside, not a single one has been put in play that he's thrown this season. So it's just been a lot of impressive stuff from Hunter Parsons. Corey Muscara has to love what he's seeing from the A's. And so for the Terps, they got the game one victory, something they weren't able to do against the Hatters last season. Of course, got those big late hits, closing it out out of the bullpen, which had a little bit of struggles in that game. Nick Turnbull started the eighth inning, but he walked two batters and struck out one, was pulled from the game. Andrew Vale came in, got one out. Mark DeLuya came in and got the final out of the eighth with a couple runners on. And then John Murphy, it was an interesting situation. He was warming up with the Terps having a 3-0 lead in the top of the ninth, ready to come in to get the save. And then the Terps hit the back-to-back homers. It was 5-0. Talked to pitching coach Corey Muscara. He said Murphy was loose. They wanted to make sure he was ready to go and that the Terps were going to get this win locked down. So he said the plan was still to bring him in at 5-0. But then with two outs and the bottom of the lineup up, I think the Terps thought it would stay 5-0 into the ninth. They didn't warm anyone else up. Terps got back-to-back key hits to make it 7-0. And Moose said he tried to scramble and get a couple guys up and warming, but he said they just didn't have enough time. The inning ended, and he said, well, let's just get these three outs. He goes to Murphy, and it worked out perfectly for Maryland. He took just seven pitches to get through the ninth inning, letting himself be available for the rest of the weekend. And on Saturday, the Terps came back out and immediately jumped on Stetson in game number two. The Stetson starter, Daniel Parrott, went out there and gave up two runs in the first. A Maxwell Costas two-RBI single made it 2 nothing Terps. But then in the bottom of the first inning, Zach Thompson got the start. He made two outs in the inning, but then a big error from Maxwell Costas. Terps made two errors in the inning, three runs scored for Stetson, and Zach really throughout the game, too. It was the Terps' defense that just didn't make a lot of key plays, and the bullpen didn't get big outs either. A lot of mistakes. Zach Thompson actually had a pretty decent start, especially with how he's been this season. I thought it was a pretty good outing from Thompson, but the defense just didn't click. You're going to have bad days when you're playing, especially on the road. Warm environment down there in Florida. I know you were down there. So the Terps probably not used to the warm weather, and they their defense went cold, but they did bounce back on Sunday. And you could talk a little bit more about that, but you're going to have tough games, especially in the second game of a two-game set. They were unsure about their pitching. Like we said, Murphy only threw seven pitches the night prior, but a lot of the guys were scrambling the night before. So Terps just couldn't hold on. They had a good start. Thompson started a little rocky. So did the defense. Gave up three runs in the first inning, but they were able to even it out, or not even it out, but 
find their rhythm eventually towards the end now. They did lose, but not without a fight. Yeah, it was a crazy back-and-forth game, so Stetson took a 3-2 to two lead after that. Terps responded in the third inning, a sack fly from Randy Bednar after Chris Aline got on with a leadoff double, got to third, and then scored, tied the game at three. Then we went to the fifth with the game still tied at three, and Zach Thompson was not able to get himself through that entire fifth inning. Ended up being an RBI ground out off the bat of Noah Dickerson that gave Stetson a 4-3 lead. And Thompson was out of the game before that. He went four and two-thirds in the start. He gave up four runs on five hits, but only one of those runs was earned because all three in the first inning were unearned after the two-out error by Costas. Thompson struck out six, walked only two. As you said, he was pretty solid. Didn't go as deep into the game as he wanted to, but obviously only the one earned run. Stetson would... Add on two more in the sixth inning after the Terps pitching staff out of the bullpen came in, issued a couple walks. It was Daniel O'Connor and then Sean Fisher and Elliot Zollner who all threw in that sixth inning for Maryland. And an RBI single from Jorge Arenas made it a 5-3 to three game. And another run came across on a pass ball to make it 6-3. to three. So The Terps were feeling maybe a little out of it, but this Maryland offense came alive late like it's been doing as of late, Terps down 6-3, to three, ended up loading the bases after a Chris Allen RBI fielder's choice made it 6-4. to four. They had the bases loaded with two outs, and Maxwell Costas came to the plate, lined a double into left center field, scoring all three runs and giving the Terps a 7-6 to six lead. But Stetson, they came right back in the bottom of the seventh inning, a three-run home run, a pinch-hit three-run homer. Off the bat of E.J. Doskow in the seventh off of Mark DeLuya gave Stetson the lead right back. And, Zach, you talked about a little bit how things were back and forth so much in this game. But after Costas got that big hit in the seventh inning, the Terps went up. The Terps were already a little deep into their bullpen, but you felt like they had the moxie to get those outs. But with two outs in the seventh and the lead still intact, that pinch hit homer off of DeLuya was just a crusher. And DeLuya got behind in the count, served up a fastball, and Doskow just crushed it into left. That was really crushing for Maryland, really. I mean, it was such a high in the top of the inning and then a little bit of a low after that three-run homer. Yeah, they were really going back and forth. The one thing that's been bothering Maryland for the past couple games has been their slow offensive starts. Like we said, they scored in the first inning in that Saturday game, but after that kind of went cold. And then even on Sunday and then on uh, yesterday against Delaware, Wednesday against Delaware, a really slow start with the bats, especially in comparison to their opponents. They've been giving up runs early and been having to fight their way back into games. And when you go up against opponents like ECU and then more Big Ten opponents, you're going to want to jump on them early, have everything clicking as soon as you possibly can. So Maryland's going to have to work on that in the coming games. And Stetson got three more runs in the eighth inning as the Terps pitchers issued some more walks. Maryland used seven arms in that game and lost it 12-7. to as Stetson evened up the series. But we went to game number three. It was a rubber game between the Terps and the Hatters. And again, Maryland got some pretty good pitching in that one from the freshman Trevor Labonte, who made another start. And the Terps, again, the offense did start hot in this one and kept the pressure on Stetson. In the first inning, Chris Aline led off with a double, and Taylor Wright doubled him home to go up one to nothing. Then in the second inning, Terps got another run on a Randy Bednar sacrifice fly that scored Tommy Gardner and made it 2-0. Two 
Terps got another run in the third inning, RBI double from Justin Vogt, who finally got his bat going to make it 3-0. And then in the fourth, Mitchell Sanger came in for Stetson. It was kind of a bullpen day for the Hatters. Sanger, a preseason All-American who essentially has had the yips this season. They tried to get him in there to see if he could throw some strikes. And Chris Aleen met him with his first career homer, a two-run blast that made it a 5-0 game in the fourth. And, Zach, at that point, it really looked like the Terps were going to cruise, but that didn't really happen after that fifth inning. Yes, that's an answer with runs in the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning. And then by that point, it was 6-4 Maryland. They saw their lead kind of cut by, I guess, more than half. You know, they were up 6-0 and then become 6-4. They had the same issue on Wednesday against Delaware where they were behind 3-0, then up 4-3. Costas hit the Grand Slam. We'll get to that later. They were up 8-3, to three, and then it was 8-6, to six, and then you got to start thinking about getting your closer and your better bullpen guys up. And, you know, in a midweek game, it's different than a weekend game. But on the Sunday, after, you know, a lot of your pitchers have already gone through a lot of our motions going into this final game, it's a must-win. Not a must-win, but a game you really want to win, a rubber game. And for Stetson to come back like this, bullpen was a little shaky, and then Will Glock came in, shut it down, and then Chris Allen did it again. Yeah, of course, it was 5-0 Terps after the Alley and Homer. Then the Terps made it actually 6 to nothing with another run after that. So the Terps had a pretty solid lead in the game, 6 to nothing after a run in the fifth on a solo shot from Justin Vogt. In the bottom of the fifth, Stetson finally got a run off of Trevor Labonte, who had a no-hitter going into the fifth inning. He was pretty good to start this one but it was 6-1. to one. Then in the sixth, Labonte really just lost it. It was kind of unfortunate to see. To start the inning, it went single-single, then a two-RBI double from Miola. He walked McNeil and was pulled from the game at 6-3 to three with first and third and no outs. But as you said, Will Glock came in, shut the door, didn't allow another run to score, and kept it at 6-3. to three. But then Glock came out in the seventh, and he really couldn't find it. Started with a strikeout, but then he walked three in a row to load the bases. He was pulled out of the game. Next in was Nick Turnbull, who got a strikeout, and then a wild pitch allowed a run to score, making it 6-4. to four. Walked another batter. The bases were loaded again. He got pulled again, and finally was Andrew Vale who came in and made the final out. And I think a big point, Zach, for this Terps team this season, and we saw it in the bottom of that seventh inning. Terps thought they could extend Glock past the sixth. He got a strikeout, then walked three. They go to Turnbull, who they think is going to be one of their best relievers this season. Got the strikeout, but then the walk maybe didn't have his best stuff. Then with the bases loaded after that Turnbull walk, he actually went 2-0 and to the next batter, who was Eric Falgo, and then Rob Vaughn pulled him. And I think that says a lot about this Terps bullpen this year. Last season, the Terps had about eight relievers they could use at any time. If one guy wasn't throwing strikes, they couldn't just send him out of the game in the middle of a batter. Didn't have enough arms. This year, the Terps have almost double that amount of guys in the bullpen, and that makes it huge that they can go to another reliever in a 2-0 count with the bases loaded. And that showed off on Sunday, and Vale got the big out. That's right. A lot of things, one of the, I guess you could say, unwritten rules of baseball is that you don't pull a pitcher in the middle of a count. That's not against the rules. It's very good strategy. I like that Vaughn and Muscara did it because it really just, it kind of throws off the batter a bit. They think they're ahead in the count, and then they got to adjust to a new pitcher right away, and that's tough to do. And we've seen when these guys come out of the bullpen warming up, you mentioned all these pitchers got ahead in their counts early. They got the quick outs and then kind of struggled as they went deeper into innings. So these guys are coming out firing, and I don't know if it's been really a trend among the Maryland bullpen pitchers, but so far the relievers have just done an excellent job coming in, getting quick outs, and then the more they're in there, they do start to struggle. But like we talked about, it's a really good uh, thing this year that they have such a deep, deep bullpen, and it's really helped them so far this season. And Vale came in with a 2-0 count, got a big ground out to keep the lead at 6-4. to 
and then it was Chris Aline who came back up at the top of the eighth, hit another two-run homer for the switch hitter. The first one was from the right side. This one from the left side made it 8-4, to four, a big couple of insurance runs for the Terps. Aline in that game, number three, went three for three with two homers, a double, a walk, a hit by pitch, and four RBIs and three runs scored. He was on base all five times. The Terps moved him up into the leadoff hole in the lineup starting in game number two of the weekend. Then the Terps were not messing around in the bottom of the eighth. They went to John Murphy to get a two-inning save, and he did just that. Locked it down, or excuse me, it wasn't a save situation, but closed it out for two innings. Locked it down in the eighth and the ninth. Got those six outs he needed, getting three strikeouts, allowing just one hit and one walk, and the Terps won it 8-4 to four to take the series. And although Stetson maybe isn't the team they were last year when they went to a Super Regional, still a big two out of three on the road against a quality opponent to help the RPI and, of course, help the record as the Terps won it and got to 9-5. and five. Then we move to Wednesday when the Terps took on a struggling Delaware team who has only one win coming off their first win of the season on Sunday. On a hot streak. Finally got one after the Terps, of course, Beat them last week 11-6. to And Drew Wilden got the start again as, Zach, you were there in Newark with the Terps. Wilden got another midweek start. And, again, he just doesn't look like he's maybe 100% there back from Tommy John's surgery. Struggled a little bit. Delaware got three early runs, but the Terps exploded in the fourth. Take that lead right back. Yeah, when Maryland came up in the fourth inning, they were down 3 nothing. And to a team like Delaware that's 1-13 coming into the midweek, mind you, their second midweek game against Delaware in a row. They won 11-6 the week before. They had seen a lot of the same pitchers that Delaware was throwing. So Maryland decided to throw the same pitchers as well. Wilden, like you said, kind of a rocky start. Got through the first two innings, then Maryland's bats finally came alive. So Tommy Gardner got on base, actually got hit in the back of the head, which looked a little scary to me, but he got right up, walked right to first base, and then... Maryland finally got it going. Now, Caleb Walls is someone we haven't really talked about a bunch, but he has been doing really well since he kind of got bumped down to the nine spot in the order after leading off for a lot of the beginning of the season. But when your nine hitter can hit RBI triples to get a rally going, that is going to be excellent for your lineup. The Maryland Terrapins have a lot of weapons all over their lineup. They've got Aline at leadoff, who's on one of the best hot streaks, I think, in the NCAA. And they've got the core at Bednar and Wright and Vote in the middle. And then you kind of round it out with Walls and Cowles, who's also heating up, who I want to talk about more later. But anyways, in the fourth inning of that Delaware game, Walls hit an RBI triple. Then Randy Bednar drove in Caleb Walls on an RBI single. And then Ben Cowles hit a laser down the left field line, scoring both Marty Costas and Randy Bednar. And just like that, after starting behind 3-0, Terps were up 4-3. to was scoreless until the eighth inning, and Maxwell Costas came up and hit a grand slam with two outs, bases loaded, and blew it open 8-3. to three. Maryland was leading then. And then they decided to go to some different pitching uh, selections. So Drew Wilden started off. Will Glock came in then, and then Tuck Tucker came in for two innings after that, and then Elliot Zollner came in for two innings. And then in the eighth, Nick Turnbull came in. And Turnbull had a pretty good series uh, for the weekend against Stetson, but then struggled a little bit in his eighth inning appearance, giving up another three runs to Delaware. Jordan Hutchins came in with a two-RBI single. And then Vinny Vacone on an RBI ground out. So, you know, uh, Turnbull's been really pitching to contact. And then in the ninth inning, Holti Mansara came in, scored on a wild pitch, and then Chris Aline, this guy hit his first home run of his, of his career, got that over with, and now, Connor, I think you just can't stop hitting him. Blew it open, a two-run home run scoring Caleb Walls, 
and made it 11 to 6. And ironically, they're for the second week in a row. Yeah, they do it the second week in a row as Aline. Three homers in his last two games. Of course, you talked about the Terps using a lot of guys in the bullpen who were very effective, including Elliot Zollner, who was solid. Will Glock solid again. It was also nice to see Tuck Tucker out there, who struggled a little bit. He threw two scoreless innings. And then Daniel O'Connor, who has also struggled, he came in with a, at 11-6 through a scoreless ninth to finish off the win that got the Terps to 10-5. and five. So a solid week if you count Delaware and Stetson in the same week for the Terps as we record this podcast they go three and one in that week and Zach there's really a couple of options for this one but I pose it to you first after the three and one week who is your Terp of the week my Terp of the week I'm gonna give it to Chris Aline so like I said this guy is on a hot streak this guy he got moved up to the first spot in the order. Now, he was really floating around 8-9 and nine for really a lot of the season. In fact, coming in, we knew Maryland had lost Zach Jankarski. That's going to be a huge item to replace at center field. And Chris Aline stepped up to the plate figuratively and literally because he has been excellent so far, especially in this Stetson series when he started heating up, hit his first home run on Sunday, and then decided to do it twice, once from each side of the plate. And when you've got a switch hitter, at leadoff, who's got a lot of speed, can play center field. So he's got speed, and he's hitting as powerful as he has been, adding another home run against Delaware. Well, then, Connor, he is going to be a very, very successful baseball player, not just at Maryland, but wherever he decides to go afterwards. And, of course, Chris Alleen, you really can't miss picking him as your Terp of the week. But since you got him, I'll go with Maryland's second hottest bat of the week, who's Maxwell Costas, who had another incredible weekend. Over the weekend, he drove in six runs in the three games, then had a grand slam in the Delaware game, 10 RBIs in four games this week for Maxwell Costas, who just because of that Stetson series won Big Ten Freshman of the Week for the second time this season. And speaking of Maxwell Costas, had a chance to sit down with him this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Unfortunately, he only had time to sit down with us on Tuesday night before the Delaware game. <laughs> so I didn't get to ask him about his big grand slam against Delaware, which happened the day after, but he was still coming off of a huge weekend. We talk a lot of baseball about Maxwell, of course, his relationship with his older brother, Marty, who was a star here at Maryland for three years. And then what Maxwell does off the field, which is a lot of what makes him really who he is and such an interesting and integral part of this Maryland team. So enjoy my conversation with the Terps freshman, Maxwell Costas. Here is the 2-1. Costas crushes one left field and deep. Bogart going back to the track. He looks up. It's long gone. A maximum blast from Maxwell Costas. And the Terps lead at 1-0 in the sixth. Maryland finally on the board. Nealon will work out of the windup with the bases juiced. Infield is back for Stetson. First pitch. Breaking ball, Costas lines in left center field. That ball is going to get down and go to the wall. One run is in. Aline is in. Here comes Taylor Wright. He will score. Maxwell Costas have a season for the freshman. A three RBI double gives Maryland a 7-6 lead in the seventh. Maxwell, thanks for joining us this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Obviously, your first time on it, but welcome to the podcast for the it's, first time. It's an honor to be here. So, Maxwell, obviously, we've got you on for mon one main reason. For the second time this season, you win Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Of course, you have a Big Ten Player of the Week earlier in the year, but 
How has so much success f- come for you so quickly? I mean, you're leading this team in batting average already. I think, you know, a lot of my sec- success, you know, comes from, like, you know, how I've been, like, trained and how I've been coaching and all that, you know. You know, Swope and Vaughn have been, you know, working with me since, you know, the summertime when I, when we first got here on, like, you know, you know, just um, making my mental approach to the game better as well as, you know, all the technicalities that go into, you know, creating a swing and all that. But I think it's also a lot about, you know, my teammates, you know. Uh, you know, I have, you know, AJ and Taylor Wright, you know, they talk to me all the time for, like, even before I go up at bat, you know, they'd be like, you know, you know, you're made for this, you're prepared for this, like, you can do this, you know, and like, you know, having that, having your teammates behind you and like, you know, gives you a little bit more confidence when you go into games and stuff like that. So I think, I think a lot of my success com- becomes from like other people in my support group. So let's go back a little bit for you. Obviously, while you were in high school, you watched your brother Marty play here for three seasons and for you how much did that make you want to come to maryland just being already connected with the program you know maryland always maryland always was one of my top choices you know i mean it's only 45 minute train ride away you know the academics here are great and plus you know the school has such a great vibe to it and you know it's pretty good baseball in the big 10 if you i you know i don't think anybody can argue that so you know and then, you know, seeing my brother out there, it just got me a lot more connected to, like, you know, the program and and things of that nature. So, you know, coming to Maryland was just a blessing for me. And obviously, you know, made the choice easier that he played here, but did he ever actively try to recruit you to Maryland, or was he just trying to let you make your own decision? You know, he's, he usually let me make my own decisions, you know. He always told me, like, you know, he doesn't want me living in a shadow. He wants me to be my own person, you know. And he said that, you know, even if I hadn't gone to Maryland, he would have been proud of wherever I went, you know. And I feel like that made me, like, you know, that made me a lot want to come to Maryland a lot more because, you know, at least I knew it would have been my choice, you know. And he would have been, if I didn't come to Maryland, you know, he would have supported me in, in, in all of my endeavors. So how much did it help you back as a high school baseball player and, of course, now as well, having a brother playing at the Division One level, getting drafted two years in a row now playing in the minor leagues? How does all of that help you? How much do you guys communicate about, you know, not just brother stuff but baseball as well? I mean, a lot a lot of, like, the baseball stuff is, like, brother stuff, you know. Like, he talks to me a lot about, like, you know, like, you know, the, like I like I said before, like the mental approach to the game and stuff like that. He tells me all the time, like, you know, you just got to be, like, calm and stuff. You can't let the game get to you. And if, if you do that, that's when the game's going to eat you up. But, you know, I, it's been it's been such a help to having an older brother play, you know, ahead of me, you know, giving me a path that I can follow and stuff, you know. So without him, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't be having the success that I've had right now. And now talking about you early in the season, you get into the lineup right away, but as the designated hitter, did that help maybe take a little bit of pressure off you, just knowing that, you know, every day I show up to the field, at least for now, maybe I don't have to worry about defense. I just have to worry about stepping in the batter's box. You know, actually, I, I, it was kind of like it was kind of like a shock just being a DH, you know, because I've been so used in high school, you know, like hitting and playing the field, you know. you know, So just being a DH was like at the beginning was weird because it was like, you know, I just get four at-bats a game, and then I'm just, you know, being a cheerleader in the dugout with Mike Vasturia, who's, you know, bless his soul, he's the, he's the best teammate, one of the best teammates I've ever had. And, like, but I think, you know, 
it took it took me a while to get used to it. But being a DH, it was it was kind of like you know after that bat, I would go I would go sit down on the bench, you know, you know, write in my note, write in my nook, but like little, what happened at a bat, what like what I need to change, and then like just carry it into the next at bat. And and then for you, of course, you do finally get to play the field, but I'm sure probably not where you thought you'd be playing in your first year. I asked you before that Delaware game, when's the last time you played first base in a game? You said middle school. So how did you feel going out there at first base for your first time defensively in a Division One game? Obviously got out there for a few games, and I know you made a couple errors at Stetson, but overall I thought you played pretty well at first base. What was that like going out there your first time Playing defense at all at the college level is a position you really hadn't played that. I much. mean, you know, people, pe- a lot of my friends and stuff, and ask me about this too. Baseball doesn't change, man. Baseball is still, you know, field ball, hit ball, throw ball. You know, so it, it was it was kind of weird being on the other side of the diamond for first time in you know years. But you know, like I like I said, baseball doesn't change. You still got field the ball, still got get outs. Anybody help you out over there a little bit? Mike Panero, Cody Milton, anybody give you oh, some pointers? All, all of them. They they're still giving me pointers over there, and, you know. And then you have you know Coach Swope was. I remember the uh, before the before the Delaware game when he told me I was going to be playing first base. He had his funk. He had his fungo, and he was like standing like twenty feet from me, and he was hitting the ball like he was having me practice like picking balls, and he was hitting them a hundred miles an hour at me. So you know, at that point, there was really nothing I couldn't handle. And so, obviously, you got to play some first base over the weekend against Stetson. You guys got a big series win down in DeLand. And you're hitting right now in the middle of a lineup that seems to be clicking. And at the beginning of the season, you were hitting well. Guys like Taylor Wright, Caleb Walls were hitting well. But it seemed like the top of the lineup was doing all the damage. The bottom of the lineup was struggling. We get to this point in the season where one through nine guys are hitting what's that like for you guys going into a game knowing any of those slots can come up there and get a big hit well I mean it just gives you all the confidence in the world like you know it's kind of like you know there's no pressure when you go up to bat because you know the guy behind you is going to be able to pick you up it's kind of like what coach Vaughn tells us all the time just you know hand it off to the next guy you know so in the end it's kind of like you know I know that you know whoever's leading off whether it be uh, Walls or Bubba you know, whoever's leading off, they're going to get the tone started. You know, you got Randy hitting second who, you know, can is liable to hit a ball over the scoreboard at any point in time. T, T you know, like he said, like we saw him down at Stetson, he hit a home run in this, and in the same game, like the drag bunt down third, you know. So we have all types of weapons in our lineup. And, you know, it's going to be fun to see, like, when we start playing, like, our best baseball because I think – because I think we're far from playing our best baseball yet. So when we get to that point, we're going to be a very fun team to play. Now, you hit your first home run against Delaware in the midweek. You know, obviously it must have felt good to get your first homer, but it was late in the game. You guys kind of had it wrapped up. Your second home run, however, might have been your biggest hit of the season so far in that scoreless game in the sixth inning in game one against Stetson. You give your team the lead. You guys go on to win that game number one. What are you feeling going around the bases? Then what's that dugout atmosphere like? Because, you know, there was a lot of, we'll call it atmosphere, between the two dugouts this weekend, and you guys seemed pretty pumped after that homer. What's that dugout been like this year, and especially in those big moments? That dugout has been hyped from pitch one to the last pitch of the game, and it's been it's been just a blast being in that dugout every day. You know, I, I remember that, you know, going before even before the home run, you know, we had been, you know, first five innings it's a pitchers do a hunters out there giving us giving it his all you know we're all the hitters in the dugout thinking you know we're gonna break through at some point because there was never 
there was never a point during the, during those five innings where we were being we'd be throwing zeros up there that we thought like man this is gonna be tough like we all of us thought you know we're gonna break through at some point we just gotta keep up going up there we gotta keep you know doing our thing at when we're hitting, you know, keep having quality at bats, like Coach Swope always says, and at some point we were going to break through. And I, I guess I was just the one to break through first. And now we've seen you have all the physical abilities, but something you mentioned a little earlier about going back from at bats and taking notes, and it seems like a lot of the guys and the coaching staff on this team, you know, it's a lot about the physical abilities and what you do on the field, but it's also a lot about mindset. How much has that played a part for you this season, just being in the right mindset when oh, you get out it's, there? Oh, it's big time. Like, you know, there, there's something I tell myself all the time, you know, after a, after I hit this, is learn, adapt, next at bat, right? And that and that's just my motto every now, every time I, you know, even if I strike out, it's okay, next at bat. Hit a home run, it's okay, next at bat. That's, you know, because baseball is just a game that, you know, the past results don't matter. You're always going to get another at bat. There's always going to be another inning, so... You know, you gotta be able to adapt to adapt to whatever you're doing, cause you know, cause you know the guys on the other the, the team you're playing against, they're gonna adapt to you too. Like you know, Stetson at and that Sunday game, they started playing a shift against me. You know, so it's just like it's just a lot about you know like being able to like change my like cha- being able to be comfortable being being comfortable being uncomfortable really, being able to you know change change be able to change what you're doing, and you know just being able to live with that. And, of course, you know, we talk a lot about your stats, your baseball ability, and you've obviously had a great start to your career. But you're more than just a baseball player, as a lot of people know. And the things you do off the field, I want to start with poetry because oh, you've, you've <laughs> read a couple poems for us. And Coach Muscara has talked about how you've gone in and read poems to him before. When did poetry come into your life, start being something that you like to do, and how has that grown? I would say it was like, you know, I'd always like writing. Like English has always been my like English and like language arts has always been my favorite class because like I just really like writing. And I'll say that it was kind of like you know junior year when I started like actually like just like writing my thoughts down at first. And you know senior year there was a kid that go he goes runs track at a uh, Bowden up of Massachusetts I think right now his name was Mason Freeman and he like really like writing poetry too. So me and him, we uh we started a poetry club at my high school, and I think you know what poetry does for me is kind of like you know, it's something that gets me away from baseball in a way. It it allows me to you know just like, you know, be able to like just write my thoughts down. So like you know I can if I'm ever feeling like if I'm ever feeling sad, I can just go and just write it down. If I remember like you know feeling happy, I can go and just write it down. And like. There's a lot of times, you know, if I'm ever, at, like, having a tough day or something like that, I'll go back and read one of my poems and stuff like that. It'll make me feel better. So, like, poetry to me is more, is more than just, you know, writing stuff down. It's more like, you know, like something that calms me down or something that, you know, picks me up when I, whenever I'm feeling down. And I think, you know, that's one of the big things that I, I would say to a lot of young kids that are playing this game. Like, this game is very liable to get you down. If you're in a slump, you're 0 for 16 or something like that. This game is very liable to get you down. So you gotta have something that you know able to like get you away from the game, get your thought process back right, get your mental psyche back right, you know, and then step back into the game. And Coach Muscara has told us about times where you've gone into his office to read him a poem. Now, now coming to this program, was that something you felt comfortable with doing right away, or did that take more of building a relationship with the coaching staff? You know, you know, it is a little bit of both, right? Because you know, I. I I'd already knew coming in coming into this, you know, I I wasn't gonna change who I was, you know, 
And, you know, after after the fall season of spending all those times with the coaches and stuff, you know, that just made me made me more successful being able to share who I was with them. And I, I'm glad they accepted it because, you know, Coach Moose could have just told me to get out of his office. He doesn't really care. But, you know, he took the time to, like, you know, try to learn more about, like, me, you know. And, you know, Coach Vaughn always tells us all the time, you know, baseball is, is what we do, but it's not who we are. And I think that's that's such an important lesson that, you know, young kids should learn. And and besides poetry off the field, besides baseball, what makes Maxwell Costas who he is? Um, Let's see. I really like anime. Love watching anime. Uh, uh, let's see. I play a lot of old video games. Like, I have a, I have a GameCube at home that I still play sometimes. Um, I like going out and doing new things. Like, there have been times, like, you know, on an off day or stuff, you know, they have, like, a... Um, they have an improv group that performs in front of McKelda, and I'll go with some friends and watch that, you know. And like, I just try to, I just try to get out in the community and, and just try to experience a lot of things, because you know, you're only in college once, and you know, so you should take everything in for what it is, you know, and be able to experience all that college after out, especially a college like Merlin. Like, man, like, there have been times where I'm walking across McKelda Mall and I'll see people out there like doing karate and stuff like that, and it's just the coolest stuff ever. So like. I just try to go out there, do new, th- try new things, learn new things, and just you know exist. And these new experiences, things like poetry, you know, how does that does that at all come back and help you on the baseball field when you step into the batter's box? It does. It, it does a lot because you know, like I like I kind of said early in this interview, you gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable. And you know, in trying new things, you're gonna there's gonna be sometimes you feel uncomfortable. You know, like like I remember like you know trying to go and make make friends who weren't on the baseball team you know and that that was uncomfortable but you know that worked out for me so you know so if I ever have to you know change something in my game you know I'm I'm gonna be comfortable being able to do it because I know like in my actual life outside of baseball you know I'm I'm cool with being uncomfortable at times and so now we look forward to this weekend especially you guys have had a great start to the season (laughs) nine and five on the year but I think the biggest weekend so far is coming up this weekend, a home series with a team ranked 17th in the country, the ECU Pirates, a team that's been playing some very, very good baseball this season. And, of course, you guys went down and beat a good team last weekend at Stetson. But now you guys host a team at your house who's had so much success. You know, what's the mindset going into a weekend like that, knowing this might be the toughest competition you faced all year and might be some of the toughest competition you faced in all of 2019, but knowing you guys still can get some victories this weekend? Well, like I said, baseball doesn't change. They still have to throw the ball over the plate to us, and we still got to throw the ball over the plate to them, you know. So, And Coach Vaughn tells us all the time, you know, there's three, thing, three things that always, you know, that we always got to do to win a game and we're a tough team to be. It's, you know, strikes out the bullpen, execute, and play clean defense. And if we do those three things and we do them well, you know, the game will take care of itself. So we don't we didn't we don't need to worry about, you know, you know, oh they got this, oh they got that, they can do this. You know, we, we're worried about us over here. And you know, finally you talked about not not expecting not to play some defense, but you got out there at first base and I know you've hit a couple home runs and those must mm-hmm. feel good, but picking that first ball at first base <laughs> How good did that feel, confidence-wise? Just getting yourself going. Well, you know, it, it, it was it's it's weird because you know playing third, I'm used to picking balls from catchers all the time, you know, so it, it didn't really feel that different, you know. But like, it was kind of cool because it was it was the last out of the inning, so like, and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, yeah," right? So that felt it felt really good over there to do that, and you know, hopefully, we keep those good vibes going into the weekend. 
And with all those good vibes, how far do you think this Terps team can go? Oh, just we, on those vibes there's alone. No, there's no limit to what we can do, Connor. Well, Maxwell, thanks so much for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. It was a great conversation with you. No problem. Honored to be here. So that was Terps freshman Maxwell Costas, of course, a very interesting conversation about baseball family. Of course, what he does off the field as well, he's big into poetry. He's read me a couple poems, read the coaches a lot of his poems, and you know, he's more than a baseball player, and the Terps hope to have him for years to come producing like he is at the moment. And of course, the Terps also hope that he can produce this weekend as the Terps have their biggest series to date so far, a three-game set with the 17th-ranked ECU Pirates. This ECU team comes in at 12-6 and on the season. Again, ranked 17th in the D1 baseball poll for a three-game series this weekend. 6.30 p.m. start on Friday. 2 o'clock Saturday and 1 o'clock Sunday. Of course, all three games will be right here on the Maryland Baseball Network. And it's been a little while since the Terps have hosted a non-conference foe who's come in ranked. Of course, that Stetson series was big last year. The Hatters were 18-3, and but they actually weren't yet ranked in D1 Baseball's poll when they came into College Park last year. So it's been a little while since the Terps have had a series this big. And this ECU team at 12-6, and six, they are one of the best in the country. Coming off of a sweep last weekend of the Marist Red Foxes down in Greenville. Not, you know, a great team that they played, but they still got it done with a sweep. They had a very crazy midweek last week. They played two midweek games, one against 8th-ranked Mississippi State, lost that one. Then one against 9th-ranked Ole Miss, they actually won that one. And then they played on the road against Duke in the midweek this week, lost that game 7-2. to two which dropped them to 12-6. and six. So, of course, on Friday it will be Hunter Parsons for the Terps. He will take on the lefty Jake Agnos with a 2.78 ERA for this ECU team. And Agnos has been solid so far this season. He's really slid himself into an ace role for ECU. We went seven scoreless with 10 Ks on Friday night against Marist. And he has been pretty pretty good this season but the one thing about Agnos is he's new to this Friday night role at the beginning of the season ECU went with Alec Burleson a sophomore two-way player who was starting on Sundays and Saturdays back and forth for them last season as a freshman he started Fridays to start the year this year now he really didn't struggle too much didn't have his best stuff it seems but he's still pretty solid but ECU made a decision to Move Burleson into the bullpen. Head coach Cliff Godwin in his fifth year decided that he wanted to use Burleson as more of a Swiss Army knife, kind of like an Andrew Miller in the playoffs type situation <laughs> for Burleson out of the bullpen where he comes in in the biggest moments, can get multiple outs, six, nine, even more outs if you need him to over the weekend. And then it also happens that he is ECU's best hitter, hitting over 450 on the season. You'll see him start as the DH or maybe at first base as well, but... He has been a huge part to this lineup. But as we look to Friday, of course, it's going to be big for the Terps to get an opening win in this series against a top 25 team. And there's really no one else you want out there than Hunter Parsons. He gives you a chance to win every Friday. We're getting to a point in the season where you can really start looking at ERA. Most pitchers are approaching, if their starters or you know, frequent bullpen pitchers are approaching that point where they're almost well over 20 innings pitched. And Hunter Parsons is at 27 innings pitched flat. He's 3-0 with a 1 ERA. That's just incredible. To think that he would have the season he's having. After, you know, 
a couple of okay years, and then coming into his senior campaign and just the start he has had, excellent starts against Maine and Stetson, and now coming in against East Carolina, I think if the Terps want to make a statement, they're going to win the first game of this series, and they can do that with Hunter Parsons on the mound. And of course, they'll go up against, as I said, Jake Agnos, who will make his fifth start of the year, 278 ERA for him on the season. He's worked just under 23 innings. He struck out 34 and has walked just six, so he's got great stuff as well. So that will be a good Friday night matchup. On Saturday for the Terps, again, it will be Zach Thompson, the redshirt sophomore right-hander, who came off a solid start against Stetson. Would have liked to get deeper into the ball game, but he still got solid stuff. And he will go up against a junior right-hander, Tyler Smith, who's kind of been one of those workhorse guys in his career for ECU. But he's had a little bit of struggles this year. A 5.75 ERA for him in four starts, over 20 innings. He has struck out 12 and walked five, but he's allowed 26 hits in 20 innings and 14 runs in those 20 innings this year. So this is a matchup that seemingly the Terps may have the advantage again. And although ECU is one of the best teams in the country, you look at Friday, Saturday. Now, the offense is a different story because ECU's offense has a lot of great hitters that we'll get to. But you look at Friday, Saturday, the Terps may have the leg up in pitching and when you look to Sunday when ECU right now does not really have a established Sunday guy versus Trevor Labonte who's been great for Maryland the Terps may have the better starter in all three games this weekend I would say they absolutely do I mean Friday Hunter Parsons definitely has the edge on Jake Agnos I think Hunter Parsons is one of the best players best starting pitchers in the Big Ten then you've got Zach Thompson coming off some rocky starts against Louisiana Lafayette and Stetson but he's going to be back home his last home weekend start against Maine, he was excellent. It was in that doubleheader, had the start moved up to Friday, but really came in, was lights out. We know Maine wasn't you know, such a challenging opponent as ECU will be, but he's also, like you said, has the leg up against Tyler Smith. And then going in, you've got Trevor Labonte prepared for this start. ECU might just not have named their starter yet, but when you've got a couple guys who could go on the mound, they might not be entirely ready. So if Maryland's bats are clicking, they're pitching. It's going to have a really, really good time this weekend. Last Sunday for ECU, they went with Trey Benton against Maris. They ended up winning that Sunday game. It was more of a high-scoring affair. They won that one 10-5. Now, Benton's an interesting story because the last couple years for Trey, he has been one of the best pitchers for this ECU team. He's seemingly been in their starting rotation Benton for most of his career he's a junior now and he's been a starter for the last two seasons but last year at the end of the year they kind of transitioned him to the bullpen where he was great had a 0.4 ERA in relief appearances last year 0.4 when they moved into the bullpen in the back half of the season but he did start one of those games against Maryland last year they started him this year back into the bullpen but However, when they made the move with Burleson going to the pen, Benton made his first start of the year on Sunday. He wasn't great in that one. He went just two and two-thirds in that game against Marist, and he allowed four runs on five hits. And his ERA this season, not great, at 6.94 in about 12 innings of work. So we'll see if he goes again, but some question marks on Sunday's for ECU. And, of course, I mentioned these two teams did meet last year. That was down in Greenville, North Carolina. It was over the spring break trip for the Terps. The Terps, of course, start spring break at home this year against ECU. But in that series, it was not a good one for Maryland. They lost game one 4-0. The aforementioned Trey Benton went 6-2 and thirds scoreless in that one against the Terps. Then game two really got away from Maryland. They lost that one 18-4. to 
ECU in innings four through eight put up not just runs in each inning. They put up a crooked number in every single inning, four through eight, at least two runs in each frame, got all over the Maryland pitching. Then in game three, it was another close one. Tyler Smith started that one. He went five and two-thirds scoreless, and the Terps again lost 4 nothing. So the Terps, they're looking for revenge this season. Absolutely, Connor. And when you look at both these ECU and Maryland teams, I'd say ECU returns a lot more of their key players than Maryland does. I mean, they're ranked 17th in the country. They were ranked, I believe, 18 last year when the two teams met. But right now, Maryland has a sort of m- momentum to them. They've got a 10-5 and non-conference record, and that's exactly what you want going into a home series against a ranked opponent. This is by far going to be the toughest challenge that the Terps have yet to face this season, and it could be their toughest weekend of the entire year. But if they're able to get past it, I think if they can take two out of three, they're going to be looking very good with conference play right around the corner. Yeah, it'll be a huge series for the Terps if they can take the two out of three and seek some revenge against ECU from last year. As we look to the hitting side for the Pirates, this is where they do a lot of their damage. It starts with the two-way man, Alec Burleson, who, again, he's been great out of the bullpen and starting this year. He's an even better hitter, a 469 batting average on the year. And that's not because he's come to the plate 12 or 13 times. He has started in all but one game for ECU. He's got 64 ABs, which is right now second on the team in number of at-bats. Two homers, 13 RBIs for him. He struck out just four times. That's the other thing about Burleson. The guy, he isn't the biggest power hitter. He'll hit some homers, but he's not going to come up there and hit 20 bombs a year but he really does not strike out, and that's what makes him so, so good. Hits the ball all around the park, although a 479 on base with a 469 average, he's only worked four walks. He's really not getting on base other than the hits, so you would expect when the average goes down, the on base is going to go down with it as well, but he is red hot right now, slugging 688 on the season. Then behind him, you have a couple of guys who have been big mashers for this team in the past. And that starts with Bryant Packard, who's hitting 315 on the season. He's got a couple of homers and eight RBIs. Packard, one of the better hitters in ECU's AAC conference. And then it's really a three-headed monster in this lineup. You go with Packard, the junior. You have Burleson, who's been so, so good as a two-way player. He's a sophomore. And then finally, you round things out with Spencer Brickhouse, another junior who was a first-team all-conference selection last year, and he's having a great year this year as well. He's hitting 375 with two homers and eight RBIs, a 545 on-base percentage for Spencer Brickhouse. He started 13 games this season for ECU, but this ECU lineup is very dangerous. And I know we said the Terps have the pitching advantage, but even though the Terps are hitting the ball one through nine right now, ECU has the hitting advantage right now. And I know Hunter Parsons can get anybody out, but this is going to be a huge test for really Thompson and Labonte on Saturday and Sunday. This is going to be a really true test of the growing pains of Zach Thompson and Trevor Labonte coming into Maryland, you know, coming into their first really big series of their careers. Hunter Parsons has been in some big situations before, um, especially, you know, being with Maryland all through last year as one of their starters. But now you kind of get to see how these guys perform in big situations against big-time hitters, some of the biggest in the NCAA, especially guys like Burleson and Brickhouse, who are going to really, really give these pitchers a run for their money. So, Zach, with the ECU series coming up this weekend and the Terps looking for a big weekend, you know, their pitchers are going to be there, but they might need some of their bats to come alive again. And 
maybe not match the ECU offense, but come close enough where they can try and get a series win. So your pick to click for the Terps offense this weekend is? Randy Bednar. We haven't talked about him a lot today. I spoke to him before the midweek game yesterday, and he just seems to be in the right mindset. He's been playing really consistently all season, so much that he's kind of slid under the radar of a lot of people, but he's solidified himself near the top of that, I guess, middle part of the lineup as the two three hitter where he's really been he's got three home runs already on the year and he's just really playing with a lot of confidence which a lot of the Terps players have been doing this season they're not getting down on themselves when they lose crucial games like last Saturday against Stetson and whatnot so coming into a big series they have their heads where they're at and Randy Bednar has really stepped up as one of the leaders on this team in his sophomore year I'm going to be really impressed to see what he can do this weekend because I think he's going to break out have a couple of clutch hits and maybe even lead the Terps to a series win. So for the Terps this weekend, I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit. So we, we haven't mentioned yet, but A.J. Lee, who's been out for a couple of weeks with an injury he sustained against Louisiana, it seems like, now we don't have official word, but it looks like he'll be back in the Maryland lineup. We hope Friday night, but if not, it's, if not it seems like at some point this weekend. Now we don't know how the Terps will reconfigure the lineup. Will Cows be out? Will Gardner be out? Will Sebastian holte Sarah not get the at-bats? Will someone else in that lineup slide out because you feel like the senior A.J. Lee is going to slot back into that lineup. So my pick to click right now, I think it's going to be Ben Cowles. Cowles, I think, is going to feel that pressure from A.J. Lee, knowing Lee somehow, some way is going to go back into the lineup, and we would think it's going to be back at shortstop, so we'll see if Cowles goes to second. He's been swinging the bat pretty solid at a big hit against Delaware. He had an RBI single on Saturday against Stetson. He had some hits in that series that were pretty key for the Terps. Excuse me, an RBI single on Friday against Setson did Cows, but he had a hit on Saturday as well, and he was swinging a pretty good bat, had a hit in all three games against Stetson, had the big hit against Delaware, and I think the freshman will kind of feel that pressure that he's got to start hitting a little bit more with A.J. Lee back to stay in that lineup because Tom, Tommy Gardner's getting himself on base as well, so I'm going to go with Ben Cows as my pick to click, and I think if he's hitting, A.J.'s hitting and Gardner's getting on base, then the Terps have so many offensive options now that it makes them so much better. We were saying, I really like your pick of Callis, Connor, because he's been heating up at the right time. I believe he's still hitting under 200 on the season. He was coming into the Delaware game yesterday, but had a big couple of big hits against Stetson and a really big two RBI double yesterday against Delaware. And then now, coming into this game, he knows that his spot might be on the line. Him and Gardner have been manning the fort down at the middle infield while A.J. Lee has been out. But you have to think that the senior A.J. Lee, you're right, is going to get his spot back. So Ben Cowles and Tommy Gardner, they're not competing with each other per se, but they want to make the most of their opportunities while they have them. So that's it for us here on episode number 61 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Of course, coming up this weekend, the Terps three games against the ECU Pirates. You can hear them all right here on MBN. The first pitch Friday night at 6.30 p.m., that means the Maryland Baseball Network pregame show starts at 6 o'clock. Make sure you tune in with us. Then on Saturday, first pitch at 2 o'clock p.m., the pregame show at 1.30. And then Sunday, the series finale is at 1 o'clock. Pregame is at 12.30 for the Terps in that one. We may not be back with you for the podcast before the Terps' next couple of midweek games. So if we're not, want to get you those as well. The Terps... For their spring break trip, we'll start and head down to Elon, playing two games against the Phoenix on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Both games start at 4, both pregame shows start at 3.30. Zach will be on the call for that one before the Terps take on Creighton the next weekend. So a big week coming up for the Terps and a pretty big stretch of about eight games 
for Maryland. But we thank you so much for listening to episode 61 here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Maxwell Costas. Of course, always an interesting guy to sit down and talk with. So for my partner, Zach Solon, and our entire MBN crew, I'm Connor Newcomb saying so long, and we hope you join us this weekend as the Terps have a big series against the East Carolina Pirates. And, of course, you can catch all three games and all the action all season on the Maryland Baseball Network. We thank you so much for listening.